Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. Welcome, it's great to be with you again in this time of worship. Um, here at the seminar, I'm especially happy to see some of our young people uh, come back. It's really great to see you guys. Welcome. Uh, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for this day that you have made and this time that we have together to come before you to worship. We ask now, once again, that in the hearing of your word, we would be obedient to that word in your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is now the seventh sermon in a series of sermons I've been preaching on the topic of worship. Uh, just to review, uh, we've been considering three aspects of worship. First involves our posture of the body, that worship is really about coming to God in reverence by kneeling or bowing. Secondly, that worship is about not just that, but an entire orientation of life that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth with all of our life to come before God with clean hands and a pure heart. And thirdly, we've been looking at worship, what we talk about worship on Sunday, this liturgy that involves creeds and rituals when we gather together as a body. And the elements of this worship are baptism, where we are initiated into the covenant community where God gives us a sign of his promises and we receive baptism as a sign of our trust in God's promises. Then we come with a prayer of confession. We pray with confidence because we believe that this God loves us and will forgive us. We sing praises to God in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing them to God with the creativity that God has given us. And today I want to talk about the proclamation of the word, that is the reading and hearing of the scriptures and the sermon. My ongoing hope and prayer with this sermon series is not only to impress upon you the importance of worship for our whole church, but also to increase your desire, your appetite, and your anticipation for in-person worship as we look forward to gathering more fully in the months ahead. 
I recently read that when the pandemic first started, about 40% of churches, including ours, experienced a surge in attendance. Virtual attendance was more convenient for many. And at first, those who didn't attend regularly, those maybe uh, didn't want to make the drive, or those who were simply just curious began to flock to the internet and to online services. Um, but after that initial exuberance, and it's been about five months now in lockdown, overall Sunday worship attendance online has dropped dramatically. According to Barna in their June update of their uh, ongoing report, the State of the Church 2020 project, nearly half of churched adults say that they have not streamed a church service in the past four weeks, even though 96% of pastors indicated that they have online services available. Even among those who identify as practicing Christians, and these are people who say they go to church at least once a month, 32% have not, have not streamed an online service during this season. In other words, almost one out of three Christians who normally attend church on a given Sunday are no longer doing so. That's a huge, huge drop. Among millennials, it's even higher with nearly half of those who used to go to church having dropped out since the pandemic started. And even among those who are online for streaming services, their attention is not fully engaged. 15% admit to multitasking during the service. Only two out of three pray along with the prayers and only about two out of five sing along during the praise time. They found even lower percentages of engagement for other church activities, such as prayer meetings at only 15%, and those attending small group Bible studies in the past month at only 12%. The report did not pursue all the reasons why this is happening, but I think we can guess at many of them. Some people are just simply getting zoomed out and don't want to attend one more video call. Some prefer to listen to sermons online at a more convenient time rather than Sunday morning since they're recorded anyway. Others love the praise time and singing along alone at home just doesn't do it for them. Still others find that they miss the fellowship time, the experience of being with others and having small talk before and after the service, which virtual meetings simply cannot replicate. So for these and other reasons, a significant number of self-identifying, practicing Christians, nearly one in three, are abandoning worship, at least temporarily. And among those who attend, many are doing so without fully participating. I think some of the reasons are reasonable, but it also suggests that people have a low view of worship that it does not require their full attention, or that it is an optional activity centered around them to be discarded when it doesn't fit their own preferences, needs, or convenience. I remind you again, in worship, we enter into the presence of God. In worship, we enter into the presence of God.
we enter into the powerful presence of God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the king of glory, the holy one of Israel, and yet who is also gentle like a loving father and who comforts us like a nursing mother. Therefore, as the writer of Hebrews encourages us, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We come together in worship, in humble confidence, because we believe God is present and God will reveal himself to us. In some church traditions, this revelation takes place primarily around the sacrament of communion, that it is in the table that Christ is most fully revealed. But in our Reformed tradition, we believe that God's revelation is centered around the proclamation of the Word. We come together to hear the Word of God to us and for us, trusting that God will speak in our hearing and that the Word of God will be revealed to us once again in that hearing. The Word of God as the theologian Karl Barth reminds us, carries a threefold sense. The word of God written, that is the scriptures, the Bible. The word of God incarnate, that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the word of God proclaimed, that is in this living preaching moment. The word of God is not a static or dead document that imparts some ancient, irrelevant information about a God from long ago. The word of God is a living word in an ongoing relationship. God has spoken to us in a variety of ways, but God has spoken most decisively and definitively through his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in him and through him that we can hear once again, the word of God. In our reading today, Paul gives the younger Timothy a series of encouragements to be faithful in his witness in both speech and conduct and to exercise the gift of ministry which he has received. And then he writes, verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. A little word study on this word reading. It's a compound word in Greek, and it has this literal sense of knowing again. Knowing again. Paul actually writes, devote yourself to reading, to exhortation, to teaching. And the translators have helpfully surrounded the word reading with a few extra words. The public reading of scripture, because that is what Paul has in mind. I love this idea that reading has this primary sense of knowing again, of knowing again. In the reading and therefore in the hearing of scriptures, we're not necessarily learning something new that we didn't know before, but it's as if we are being reminded of what we already know about God. It's not that we didn't know that God is good, but we come to know again, perhaps in a new discovery, in which God is good. Now, when Paul tells Timothy to devote himself to reading, he is not telling him 
to practice reading on his own in his home. He's calling him to make sure that the scriptures are read out loud in public worship. And along with the reading, he's to give an exhortation or an encouragement and teaching. In other words, a sermon or interpretation and encouragement based on the reading and the hearing of the scriptures. This is the pattern that was followed in the early church. We can see, for example, in the middle of the second century, a Christian by the name of Justin Martyr described Christian worship in this way. On a day called Sunday, there is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader ceases, the president in a discourse admonishes and urges the imitation of these good things. Next, we all rise together and send up prayers. The memoirs of the apostles is probably the gospels. And we see that they are read alongside the Old Testament prophets. And then the president, presumably the pastor, gives the exhortation and teaching and encourages the congregation toward the imitation of what they have just heard in the scriptures. In addition, in addition to the gospels being elevated now to the status of the Old Testament prophets and the authority of scriptures, we know that Paul expected his own writings, his letters to be read out loud during worship services. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he wrote, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And he wrote the same thing to the Colossians as well. As a practical matter, as a practical matter, remember that back in those days, no one owned the Bible. No one had their own private copy of the scriptures in their home. And hardly anyone knew how to read, so it wouldn't have even mattered if they had copies of the Bible. So when Paul is telling Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of the scriptures, he's calling for the reading out loud of the scriptures in worship because that's the only way that the congregation, that the people of God could hear and receive a word from God. You know, earlier this month, um, thanks to a generous gift, my wife and I were planning on attending a Journey concert. Some of you younger folks may not know uh, what that is, um, but they were one of my favorite bands when I was in high school, and I was really looking forward to going. I was especially looking forward to taking my wife uh, with me because she's never been to, you know, a real rock concert. So I was just imagining her, you know, with the, with the, with the lighter going like this and really enjoying it together with her. But like most things uh, during the season, it got canceled. So last night, I listened and watched some uh, clips of concert, uh, of the Journey uh, concert clips uh, on YouTube. It's not the same. There's something about hearing music live, in person, and with others, that the best recordings on YouTube just can't duplicate. Perhaps it's not to the same degree, but hearing the word of God read and preached also needs to be heard 
live, in person, and with one another. I know that we have the technology so that we don't have to hear the word read live or preached live, and I'm thankful that we can have this worship together on Zoom as well as live. However, like the rest of our worship, we lose something in not hearing the word spoken to us directly face to face. I know that you also own multiple Bibles in your home. You all know how to read. And so even this idea of listening or hearing the word of God may not seem that important to you. You might think, you know, I should just write the sermon and just send you an email with the text of the sermon. You can just read it. Why do I have to sit in on worship and hear the sermon? But I believe it is vital, even in this age, with all the other technologies, that we hear the word of God. And I believe it is a theological necessity for us to practice listening to the word of God together in worship. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Every Sunday before the scriptures are read, you hear the scripture reader preface the reading with either listen now to the word of the Lord or hear now for the word of the Lord. It is a reminder that when we come to God, we come to God with nothing, with nothing but receptive hearts. Hearing the word of God puts us in this unique position of receiving that reading the scriptures on our own cannot. Hearing makes us dependent on others and removes the control over what is read and how it is read. It's kind of like when someone prepares for you a delicious meal and insists that you do nothing but eat it and enjoy it. It's a good helplessness. It's grace. It's what Martin Luther called the passive righteousness of God. That is something that is to be received. Hearing the word of God reminds us that grace, mercy, salvation, and all other good gifts of God can only be and must be received by faith. I've asked you before not to read along when the scriptures are first being read during service. Even during our Zoom services, you notice that we intentionally do not show the scriptures when it is first read because I want you to simply listen to and for the word of God. Once it's read and I start preaching, by all means, please open your Bibles and study along and read along with me. But we must first begin by listening, by listening to for the word of God. We do this, we listen, because from the very beginning, God has spoken and God calls us, invites us to hear him. God spoke the world into being and God spoke to the very first human beings. The history of God's people and God's dealings with God's people is really a series of these moments of whether or not people listened and trusted God's word or people did not listen and did not trust God's word. 
in the Garden of Eden, the serpent's strategy was to place doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve by posing the question, did God really say? Can you really trust what you've heard from God? They didn't, but others did. Abraham, for example, is our model of faith, not because of some great work or achievement that he accomplished for God, but simply because he believed God had spoken and that what God had spoken was true and he trusted that word. Later on, the ancient Israelites heard and received the word of God, usually mediated through Moses and other prophets. Moses repeatedly called the people to hear, to remember, and to obey God's word and God's will. But the people repeatedly, cyclically, drifted away from the word of God. Then after the conquest of the promised land in the time of the judges, we find that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, rather than in accordance with the word of God. And by the time we get to the last of the judges, Samuel, we're told that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The word of the Lord became rare. The neglect of God's word was common and persistent throughout the history of Israel and the people of God. But again and again, again and again, God continues to speak to his people. And we see the exhortations of the prophets calling the people back to listen to and for the word of God and to live according to that word. For example, Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Jeremiah, hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. The last of the prophets, Malachi, in the last chapter, in his final exhortation says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules I commanded him at Horab for all Israel. Remember the law. That is, remember what you heard. Remember the word that was spoken to you. Remember the word of God. These and other revelations were handed down to us and have come to us in the form of written scriptures. And we are to remember these words and treasure them in our hearts. We do want to join, we don't want to join the throngs who ignored, rejected, and dismissed the word of God. Instead, as the psalmist says, and as Joshua was reminded, we want to be immersed in God's word. We want to be like those who meditate upon God's word day and night, like those who live in the constant presence of God and the word of God. The blessed are those whose lives are shaped and are constantly being reshaped in accordance to the word of God that is heard again and again and afresh. The late theologian Hans Frey says that this is no longer true and that there has been this reversal in the direction of interpretation of scriptures. He says that prior to the first half of the 18th century, people generally interpreted their lives and their experiences in light of the Bible, which they took to be true. But beginning with the second half of the 18th century and onwards, people began to interpret the Bible in light of modern knowledge and their own personal experiences. 
Instead of the scriptures forming the basis of their worldview and of us conforming our thoughts according to the word of God, we have now tried instead to fit the Bible into our makeshift worldview, to our subjective experiences, to our politicized reasonings, and to whatever the latest influences and trends we happen to find ourselves in. Rather than submitting ourselves to the word of God, we instead have placed God's word under our feet, under our own shifting sensibilities. And people now treat the scriptures as what someone called decorator spirituality. God's word is no longer the foundation of our being, but just one small decorative add-on that we might wear to complement the rest of our persona. This is completely the opposite of what it means to hear the word of God. Listen now to the word of God. To hear God, to hear the word of God is to be rooted in God's worldview. To hear God's word is to obey God's word and to live wholly and entirely according to that word. It is not mere decoration or information. Even if you were to memorize It is this humble attitude, the willingness to be convicted and corrected by that word and to follow that word in obedience to Christ, the word of God. And throughout the scriptures, we see that hearing the word of God is synonymous with obeying the word of God. Deuteronomy 4, for example, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules I am teaching you and do them that you may live. Listen and do them. Jeremiah 35, I've spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I've sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently saying, here's what you have to do. Turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you and your fathers, but you did not listen. You did not do it. Luke chapter eight, and Jesus said, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. Parents, when you tell your child, please clean up your room. Did you hear me? Please clean up your room. What is your expectation? Are you asking or checking to see if their hearing works? If they said, I heard you and do nothing, are you satisfied? Oh, good, their ears are working. Of course not. Did you hear me carries this expectation of obedient action, a cleaned up room. Likewise, when we come in worship, we need to bring the same attitude to hear a word from God, which we intend to seek to honor with obedience. Soren Kierkegaard said, the Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of swindling, scheming swindlers. 
We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are, uh, we are obliged to act accordingly. Maybe we can disagree with him that the Bible is easy to understand. Sometimes it is difficult. But the overall call to obedience, to love God, to love our neighbors, to hear and obey is crystal clear. And we are obliged to act accordingly. Let me close with this. I quoted earlier that according to the Barna poll, only 12%, 12% of practicing Christians have attended a Bible study in the last month. I think outside of worship, small group Bible studies are probably the best place to hear the word of God together. And in this season of pandemic and quarantine, I think we have an unprecedented opportunity to increase our Bible study and to invite others to join us. About a month ago, the American Bible Society released their 10th annual State of the Bible report. And it found some discouraging trends. For example, the percentage of Americans who use the Bible daily, that is, you know, read it uh, every day devotionally, fell to 9%, the lowest number on record during its 10 years of reporting. That means less than one in 10 Christians look at the Bible on a daily basis. However, there were also some encouraging trends. For example, it found that two-thirds of American adults are Bible curious, meaning that they want to learn more about the Bible, or at least that's what they're saying. Most interestingly, the report compared a study conducted by the Barna Group in January of this year with a follow-up study that they did in June to see the impact of the pandemic on engagement with the Bible. And they found this interesting statistic. In 2019 and up to January of this year, 35% of Americans said that they never used the Bible outside of a church service. That practically speaking, they never open the Bible or hear the word of God other than at a church service. But in June of this year, that percentage fell to 31%. So it fell by a few points. In other words, because of the pandemic, more people are apparently opening their Bibles. The pandemic has made more people curious about the Bible. And so there is an opportunity as a church and as a people of God to engage the Bible with those who may not have been interested in the Bible or hearing the word of God before. So my charge to you this week is this, to invite people not only to our worship, to hear the word of God, but to your FGs, to your small groups, your fellowship groups. Maybe you've noticed that there are some folks who have not been coming to our Zoom services anymore. Or maybe you can just think of people that you just haven't seen in a while. I want to encourage you to reach out to them and invite them to our worship services and to your FGs. Increase the bubble of your invitees. You are no longer limited by geography, by driving time, by schedule. 
You can invite anyone and everyone in the entire world now to your FG. Let's take advantage of this opportunity and devote ourselves, recommit ourselves to hearing the word of God together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we want to be a people committed to the hearing of your word. And God, in that hearing, help us to obey. Help us to open our eyes to see those around us and to invite them to hear your word along with us. Now we pray together the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.